to the Confused Dad podcast with me, the Confused Dad. Hello and welcome. I'd like to talk to you about the idea of, what should I call this? This this disconnect that I have felt my whole life between my myself and the world around me. I've always experienced it until very recently as this I've always described it as being uh, floating above my own body, almost feeling like I was in a spacesuit of some kind and that there were there was sort of distance between my own reality and the people around me and the experiences. And we can obviously talk a little bit about a childhood of what what normally gets termed proximal abandonment, but the notion that children have their parents around but are not in a relationship with their parents. So yes, their physical needs are taken care of and they don't want for anything uh, in terms of physically. So in my case, I grew up in a very middle-class kind of space where my physical, immediate physical needs were taken care of uh, and then some. I, I did not long necessarily for any physical objects, but I did not realize that the disconnect that I had with my parents would spill over in such a huge way so as to lead to a disconnect with myself and the world around me. So what what that plays out as is I think all of us have a framework once we're born we come through a certain framework. Now that framework is obviously immediately established by the society around us which trickles into our family structure, our parents and their decisions and everything that they do is either to uphold, build, destroy, reject, uh, etc., etc., the, the situation around them at the time. So, for example, if you were born into a family uh, that was extremely poor with, with family members who may have come from another country who had to build a life for themselves, their parents had to build a life for themselves, you're being born into a structure that says you need to do what it takes to survive. You have to fight for what it takes to survive. You can't allow anyone to dictate. It's not always the case, but for the majority of, of, of people in a situation where they, they were deeply, deeply on the back foot in a society, often they find a certain level of tenacity or they find a, a level of um, grit. I think the, the, modern, the modern interpretation, this idea of grit, just being able to keep, keep knocking into those walls, keep knocking on those doors until something happens. It was, it was just what the environment required. Now, obviously, things change as successive generations. They, they create environments that are very different from the ones they were raised in. Thank goodness. I mean, it's very difficult to try and make your child experience what it is you had or didn't have so that they know what they have it's not really possible it's not possible because it's kind of like me trying to understand what it is like uh, having gone to prison for example through someone who has gone to prison and explain explains their reality to me and i've been watching for some reason lots of recommendations on youtube recently have been youtubers who are ex convicts of some or another sort some have spent long periods of time in jail others shorter but they have created a, a niche for themselves where they they share with everyone what it was like right down to what is the food like and how to have how to have a prison shower and are all the stereotypes of prison real and how you know 
Um, so those those people, uh, I I can't I cannot in my very being understand it. I can logic my way through it and go, right, that sounds like a pretty hectic and terrible experience. I really shouldn't go and steal some cars and get locked up. But I can never walk a mile in anybody's shoes because they also have gone through a framework, a system uh, of whether it's abandonment or overbearingness or a desperation or uh, overabundance. Each each experience will tell them a little bit more about the world and then their minds their beings will create a kind of framework that will protect them from it or which will embrace certain aspects so it doesn't really matter and i and i i've, I've seen this so often uh, i really enjoyed the notion of working with the middle class when it came to education and i'll tell you why the reason for that and so often education in our country and in Africa as a whole uh, focuses on, and, and rightly so, focuses on the absolute majority of individuals who barely have enough food to, to get through the day and who have to cover great distances to get to school and who, who for whom uh, pencils and, a, and a, an empty exercise book is, is a serious amount of money that has to be um, carefully thought about and prioritized. So... I get it and I'm not taking away from that. What I found fascinating was working with people in the middle class where you deal with so much uh, damage, uh, defense mechanisms, call it entitlement as well. And there is just a general sense of, and this is only my experience, the upper middle class, middle class, uh, there's a kind of rushed confusion, a rushed confusion around life and particularly around their children, because they want the best, right? We want the best for our children, but what it takes for us to pay for the supposed best, whether it's a school that costs a certain amount of money so that you feel you are now giving of the best possible experience to your child, that costs you in time. That costs you in having to be overseas for multiple weeks a month, every month for the whole year, not seeing your family. That costs you being so highly strung, so completely blurry with uh, expectations and certain ways of being, of wearing certain clothing, of, of pretending to be a certain person, that you actually are breaking inside. This is what I noticed. And I, I can relate it to my own reality, which is, I did not realize that there was going to be a time where I would, as a man, as, a, as an adult man, I would have to face a certain uh, tower of cards, emotional cards. I didn't realize how high those were stacked. And uh, for me, the birth of my child was the moment that that final card, and you know, uh, in the cartoons, um, if you've ever seen a scene where, for example, with Tom and Jerry, where Tom is, uh, Jerry is basically throwing all kinds of things from the kitchen cupboards at Tom. And if Tom's, if Tom drops anything, then you'll have the, the, the nanny or the housekeeper. I could never really figure out who she was, but she'd come in and she'd obviously whack him with a broom and throw him out the house. So Jerry had a lot of fun throwing lots of stuff. And eventually Tom has every single object in the kitchen balanced on his nose, face, head, fingertips. And finally, Jerry will throw that little cherry or that tiny little olive. And that very last little weight 
just shatters absolutely everything. And that for me is so often what has, what I've seen and what I have experienced is that there's a, this, this structure of emotional needs of things that are not dealt with, that cannot be engaged with, that are far too frightening, traumatizing, and leave you feeling completely frozen and paralyzed in fear, pain, confusion, but that paralysis is better than stepping into the unknown, which I believed would be of complete destruction to myself. I thought whatever it was that was so wrong with me, whatever feelings I was experiencing, which then manifest as anxiety and obsessive compulsive disorders and um, general anxiety disorder, th those are manifestations for what was already lacking and that was that I couldn't truly engage with what I was feeling because my framework the way that I grew up always told me both directly and more so indirectly without having to say so overtly that negative feelings such as anger and sadness were unacceptable not only were they unacceptable but they would make you a bad person if you experienced them and if you experience them for any lengthy period of time, by lengthy I'm talking about an hour or two, then you would intrinsically be some kind of evil being and that you would be ungrateful within the life that you have been afforded. So I think my interest in working in, with the middle class was that there seems to be a universal framework that we all have, which is we're all scared and we're all disconnected and we're all trying to escape what it means to be mortal human beings. It's a scary thing for human beings with a finite amount of time to live. It's frightening. But with the trappings of stuff, there is more room to stay further disconnected for longer, to chop and change where you live, what car you drive, or what finish your bathroom tiles are. And it sort of keeps you busy juggling the balls of disconnection until finally, finally, and I saw that uh, many a time, where finally the penny drops and you realize as a parent and as an adult, wow, I suck. <laughs> I've been, I have clearly, something is not okay anymore. But it reaches a pinnacle point. It reaches a point where you just cannot function. It starts affecting your everyday life where you would normally be able to put on a mask uh, of, of being okay and um, ticking all the boxes as far as a successful individual in our society goes. And then finally, you tip over into that point where you go, wow, okay, this is a lot more intense than what I have had before. And of course, you judge yourself for that. You do judge yourself for that. Because there's a framework, again, that we find ourselves in that says, if you're not able to just get yourself together, if you're not able to sort it out or to move beyond it or to, you know, whatever it is you need to do, and uh, I go to these kind of, I don't know, online gurus, they're these business coaches or coaches in general, there's a certain level of disconnection there. They take on a certain uh, way of speaking and standing and th there's this whole sales funnel attitude and it always comes across as insincere something about it. Hi, I'm John. And if you want to be like me, just click for a free email that tells you four easy steps to get your business 100% more productive, blah, blah, blah. And then eventually 
you find yourself sort of 42 automated emails deep and then the the pitch finally happens which is a you know 500 dollar ebook and there's small versions of that i was talking to uh, some friends um yesterday at a, what would be a barbecue we we refer to it in south africa as a braai where you cook meat on an open fire because that's what we do we eat a lot of meat in this country um i was talking to them and they all sort of agreed and they were discussing the the nature of people and and the kind of masks they have to wear and i kind of got onto the topic of politics and this is an interesting topic and i don't really know why people put politics into the same category as other things that might be very difficult to talk about like bowel movements and religion i'm not really sure why because politics are uh, and politics are ultimately so far removed from our ground level experiences in life like what happens in a parliamentary setting may have knock-on effects but but how it affects you absolutely directly in your life is so abstract but people get they get um uh, possessive over certain beliefs and perhaps they have an affinity for certain people who represent them and this is something which came up for me was I am not comfortable with the notion of being represented I don't like that idea I don't like sort of saying to someone okay I'm going to nominate you to represent me in a forum that I can't dip into whenever I have the time to directly have input and say and get immediate or at least prompt feedback as to what I've said. So it kind of, there's a, there's a lag and a disconnect between what I would like to see happen then and what actually can happen. I don't know all the thousand steps in between my desire to have certain potholes in the street fixed and how long it takes to, to happen. I mean, there's something about this idea of being represented, which we wouldn't do in any other context. It's such a strange thing. Like, I don't have somebody who can go and I, I I don't nominate a representative to go and select furniture for my house. I wouldn't even do that when I was if I was if I was buying a car. I would not select someone to go and represent me and buy the car for me. There's a level at which I want to be able to see the car. I want to see, you know, that the the the, the place that I'm buying it from is an actual space. I don't want to sit in it. I want to. I don't know, I want to get the little brochure. There's a certain level of tactile ritual stuff that makes sense. I'm even hesitant, and look, I have a problem with shoes. I, I do not buy shoes, and I have one pair of shoes uh, at any one point, and when they get enough holes in them for, for me to notice and my wife to say, look, you know, it, now's the time people are starting to, you know, question the nature of, of who you are as a human being, and they're the sort of avoiding you in the street, then I'll buy new shoes. But... It's like there's this whole thing of I don't want someone to go and even buy me shoes. I couldn't do it online. I need I need to go in the store and run out as quickly as possible with a new pair of shoes, throw the old ones in the bin in the in the mall and put on the new ones immediately and not think about shoes again for a long time. But I wouldn't even do that. I wouldn't even do that. But we are doing it in two very key spaces, which to me, to me is fairly concerning and has been concerning me for some time even when I was in the business of of education and that is we have representatives to represent us as parents so to act as parents for us and we have people who represent us in uh, politics and therefore the environment in which we live and the society its structures and its facilities and its its infrastructure and so on 
So those are two very key, key places. And this whole idea of having somebody be my, I don't know, my my personal shopper when it comes to that is, I think it robs me of the ability to start getting interested. That's possibly an interesting one as well, is that if you're being if you're being outsourced to be my representative, then I, sh- I don't have to think. I can just sort of go, well, well, I kind of agree with that, carry on, or, oh man, they, you know, they screwed up, whatever, um, they're the, you know, the better of two evils, I voted for this person and not that, well, what choice did I have? And fundamentally, um, those structures, yeah, they exist, they're there, are there better ones? I don't know, and that's another big one which came up for us in the discussion yesterday. That is, I have yet, I have yet to see someone who is a representative a political representative, and uh, also teachers for that matter. I come across, I I don't know a million, but I've come across very few politicians and teachers who will say, I'm not sure, or this has affected me emotionally and I cannot make a decision at this point or give you an answer. I mean, paint this picture for yourself. I've never seen a politician or someone who had to make a very difficult decision. Let's say someone who's had to, um, someone who's had to reply to some kind of um, attack, military attack on their country, uh, where they've had to respond equally in force. Who then says, "All right, I've considered this for some time, and I've uh, had sleepless nights for multiple days now. Um, I'm hallucinating because of tiredness, and I'm I'm bordering on crying all the time, but." I have to make a decision and this is my thought process. It may not be a popular one or it may be, um, but let me let me assure you that as a representative of you, I feel my responsibility deeply, 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 and it, it affects me deeply. And I don't know how long I'll be able to do this, but I'm going to continue doing so to the best of my ability until such a time where it just becomes too much and then hopefully there'll be a successor of equal vulnerability. Yeah, no, word for word, I don't think uh, I've ever heard anyone say that. But anyone who stands up, who's supposed to be an expert or supposed to be, they're supposed to be. That's the big thing. They've been told and they fulfill that role. And I just want someone who can acknowledge that they are human, they're indecisive, they change their minds, their moods fluctuate, and that they're afraid sometimes, that they're unsure sometimes. And for goodness sake, I'd love someone who can say, I don't actually know the answer to that. I'm going to need some time to formulate um, formulate my thoughts together so that it's cohesive. And not be, not be defensive and not be uh, completely um, closed off. Uh, either, either which way. Not someone who has an answer for everything and not someone who goes, you know, I wave my, I wave, I, I, I enforce my right to not have to answer that question. I want someone who can go, yeah, you know, that's a tough question. I'm really not sure of the answer. Um, you're going to have to give me some time to get back to you, but back to you, I will get. So it's almost like everything has to be incredibly manicured and curated, and questions have to be carefully predetermined, and answers have to be shortened and kept to the point. And the the, the notion of having a long form style conversation about anything is a very foreign idea. I went back uh, a while back, I'm not too sure how many years ago, but there have been um, television shows that were essentially debates. 
And those fascinated me. You have uh, two individuals discussing uh, concepts, and, and that can be an hour and a half, two hour long discussion. And I just don't know if that format and that flavor could exist again, or if it was just that they didn't have any, you know, any cheap and nasty uh, <laughs> entertainment. And so they had to put that, you know, it's pretty cheap to get two guys in a room to talk for two hours. I mean, you've, you, haven't, you haven't had to spend that much money. But I was just struck. I watched Malcolm X, Malcolm X uh, in a conversation, in a debate. And I was just struck, I was personally just struck by the fact that in a, in a very charged environment, in a very, um, in a very volatile time, at a very volatile time, uh, someone such as himself could sit poised, um, controlled enough and, and allowed for uh, questions and and cross questions to his thought process in a way that made me feel like he was respectful of the of the approach of an interviewer yet the interviewer was also uh, opposed or or at least on the other side of the fence with regards to the to what they were talking about so it wasn't someone who was agreeing and 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 you know giving him a pat on the back it was someone who was there to try and ultimately trip him up and and disprove his ideas but to be able to hold an idea in your head and share that idea whilst still being open to hear thoughts that are in direct opposition to your own and not get angry by it, like not go, damn, you know, I hate you because you think you're so cool and awesome and have all the ideas and, you know, I, I, I hate you because you believe this is better, not that. And I've noticed that often, even for myself, I'll my mind will want to jump. I want to jump to this place where it's like, no, my, my opinion is my asset. It's my, I've been building this. I've been building my way of thinking for such a long time. You can't take it from me. You can't tell me that this is better than that, or I shouldn't be doing this parenting and that parenting is better. And we all hold on to our beliefs or our experiences because we don't get do-overs, which is interesting. We don't get to be three or four again. So what happens there leaves and has a lasting impact on us. And we kind of, I suppose, mourn that in some or another way. Um, we don't get another chance to go to school. So we hold on dearly to our experiences if they were positive and we reject them intensely if they were negative and being open to suggestions, even in very liberal, and I say liberal in the sense that um, people who may practice parenting styles uh, or, or approaches that are on the, on the fringes of society, um, they, even they become... Um, Nazi-esque, I suppose, they become completely fixated on this idea. And I say that be, having been in the alternative education space, how many people were, were uh, that I encountered which were actually very unhealthy for me because I have a propensity for um, biting onto an idea, particularly when it made me feel better about my own inner child, my own, my own brokenness, when it validated something and said, yes, you know, I can save children from the same horrific experiences or brutality that I experienced in school. Um, so it must be holy. It must be amazing. It must be the methodology which which will save us all. And it, I, I, it's a funny thing to me is that I've always found um, the cult leader as a, as a, call it a, an archetype, the cult leader has always fascinated me because the cult leader, the ones that did real well, 
that built real cults, that had real mass suicides, those ones really believed in what they were saying. They really, really did because you cannot maintain a level of, um, I suppose it's been done, but you cannot, for most people, maintaining a level of intensity of that degree when it's really just uh, smoke and mirrors and it's for a quick buck. It's very hard to be sustainable for a long period of time to maintain that. So those people do really believe, they absolutely believe what it is they they um, whether it's you know whether it's that uh, aliens are hiding in the tail of a comet and that they're going to be fetched so they have to drink some kind of poisons or whether it is they want to build a better world a new society where people can live in harmony um, those things are actually believed quite deeply and it's that belief that is infectious because i think when you don't have a framework you're seeking people who do and often the people who have these kind of clear frameworks, and I go back to people trying to sell me stuff online, especially people in marketing, this whole, you know, let me teach you how to market your business. Let me teach you how to create sales funnels that cannot fail. It's, um, there's something about that that's almost culty, that uh, there's very few of it, there's very little of it that makes me go, wow, that's really genuine exchange. And you, you're not really after anything you, you don't really, you're just sharing value. Hmm, that is a, a tough one. That's a tough one. And I would be attracted and I've tried to work on myself. And I don't know if you've ever experienced this where you feel that there's an answer. Someone's given you something that's now an answer. And you go deep into it. Yes, yes, yes. For children, this is what you have to do. Sleep training is the answer. That's the way to do it. Or this education structure, or that education structure, or breastfeeding till age 57, or whatever. Doesn't, I'm making examples here, but it triggers people. It triggers them in a way that says to me, okay, maybe the, the personal investigation about your beliefs is something that has to be done um, regularly and ongoingly, questioning and thinking about what it is you believe to be your truth and what is it that you believe resonates with you and ultimately when you are surrounded by people who don't resonate with you that you find a courage within yourself so that you can leave that situation because for me the the idea that you're stuck in a situation and yes you, you may be stuck but it is always temporary it is always temporary there is very little in terms of skills that can really be beneficial to give children or to expose children. I don't want to say give because that assumes that 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 you as the parent have the sole responsibility to transfer that knowledge. Uh, you may be the one who's responsible, but you can't be the one who gives them the very real and direct experiences. You can set it up as such. You can try and expose them to environments where certain key beliefs you may have or feel that there is value or merit in exposing them to can happen but you can't force that to occur artificially and i think we we do it with ourselves too we try and we try and bolt on uh, awareness um, love respect we kind of put it we put it on and we wear it and we do it under certain circumstances in certain contexts which is fine but i've always struggled with the idea that for me to grow, I have to experience vulnerability and ultimately pain. I'm going to have to. Giving your child that, where you can say to them, look, when I was a young man, this is how I felt about myself. I didn't have a very high self-esteem. 
Um, I, I really hated my body image and I was obsessed with girls or I wasn't or whatever may be the case. And allowing your child to see process, that's the big one. Because you're not, it doesn't matter how much you try and dictate how they should do something. It's better. They're not going to care. I mean, they will just reject it. If they're headstrong, they're going to go, well, up yours. I don't want to know you. And uh, yeah, my dad is a lame -o. My mom is a lame -o, And I have nothing to do with you. Uh, another, bad, another bad one is they do everything you want them to do. And they actually repress certain truths which can never come out in your presence. And that stuff bites you like the deck of cards. It bites you in the butt when you're 30, 35, 40. And you're going, wow, okay, why am I buying a Harley Davidson and divorcing my wife and like moving it to the coast? Um, yeah, because there was too much you have, uh, you, you accumulated. There was too much little, little tiny magnets of uh, emotional complexity that happened through your whole childhood. And even that is a stereotype when you start saying, well, in my child, my, my inner child, when I say that, I can really hear, oh my God, you know, this guy. It's like a, some sort of hippie-esque, you know, dream catchers, peace pipe smoking nonsense. The fact that we can call that nonsense, the fact that we can call engaging with each other on, on an emotional level as wishy-washy is part of um, the framework which I find a little unnerving. I really do. And yet, when it comes to selling stuff, that's all that gets used. How are we going to tell the customer how we feel about them? How are we going to meet their emotional need? How are we going to short-circuit their logic? right? Because that's, that's what you want to do all the time in marketing. You want to go for the reptile brain, the, the brain that, that feels first, that goes, boom, there I am, attack, fight, flight, buy, consume, eat, 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 drink, 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 you know, um, and, and only think about the consequences of pay, pay, pay later. So there's this whole culture of that. But what if we invert that and we have, you see, the meaningful discussions, and please don't get me wrong, I can't maintain that level of discussion throughout my day with absolutely everybody that I encounter. Um, obviously, I can't. It's, there is a level at which sometimes you just have to talk about the weather. But when consciously coming together with people, I... I, I've always found it difficult to go, okay, well, I'm, I'm just here to connect and I want, I want to leave this space with a little layer of something extra than when I arrived. That was always, that's not my yardstick. It's like, I'm going to try and find somebody who can tell me stuff that makes me think. And sometimes it happens and sometimes it doesn't. But that for me is a, is a real critical skill too. It's like, hey, just engage with people here you are, child. Here's a here's a lesson for you. Engage with people who make you feel more when you leave their presence than when you began. By more, you're not necessarily going to feel happier and you're not necessarily going to think your ideas are good, but you're definitely going to feel more colorful. You're definitely going to feel more uh, engaged in the world. So look out for that potential, those potential little games, those potential little interactions, because that's all it is. That's all adults are doing. When they're hanging out and eating and sitting down and drinking, they're, they're playing. Believe it or not, they're playing. Most can't get up to play on the jungle gym because they would break a hip, but you're doing the same thing your child does. So play is so critical, and you can, you can play, engage with people around you, um, and try and engage with, with complete strangers. You know, that's always, It's always an interesting thing is that we feel so accosted. 
And I found myself feeling quite sad about that. Like I, I can't open up and just say hi to somebody and sit next to them in a public space and say, how was your day? Because that would take too much of my time. You know, that's, that's sad. It's so sad. I was in the shopping mall uh, quite a while back and there was this guy who passed by and uh, he told me this whole anecdotal story of of um, some cigarette smoking story of somebody and he laughed at his own joke. But I realized how desperate he was just to connect and how desperate I was for him to just go away. And that for me is sad. It is sad for me now. Like, why? Why am I? What am I in a rush for so that I can get on with it and not be feeling so uncomfortable by talking to someone I don't know? I suppose that's why people drink copious amounts of alcohol when they're out in a in a bar so that they don't actually have to feel how uncomfortable they are trying to find someone to care about and have children with or to share their lives with or in you know whatever whatever version of that makes sense to you it's because it's vulnerable to say geez i'm here because i feel lonely I'm, i feel lonely and abandoned and i feel like um i feel like i'm gonna die alone and that really there's nobody else in the world that can engage or understand me or my intensity or whatever i'm just here because i feel sad i think there's a lot of that but that's part of vulnerability, people, and uh, I'm very grateful um, for your time in listening to this uh, podcast, if you have managed to get to the end of it. I hope to see you again, or at least know that you're listening again. Please feel free to leave any um, any comments for me. You can email me at confuseddads at gmail.com, or you can comment on the various platforms uh, where this podcast is found. But until next time... I hope that you have a fantastic weekend and that, um, yeah, look after each other and see you soon. Goodbye, everyone.